Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. extra time i'm your host ryan and this week i'm joined by justin hello how are you i'm doing fine how are you ryan yeah i'm not bad thank you i think out of all the people that could have been on the podcast just two people people probably wouldn't have expected it would just be us Uh, i'm i don't know about you but i'm not the most regular guest i haven't been in a while chris keeps i haven't been on since the quiz and he's very very upset by this fact and mentions every time i drop out I think that this is only my second of the entire season. Of course, my uh, team that I coach is is in season, so it makes it difficult for me to get on on Fridays. So, and how's your season going? How's your season going? Um, well, it is finished now. It, it finished okay. just, just before the holidays, just before the years. We had a very good season. It went well. I'm enjoying the downtime now. Um, but uh, we, we, we're still on winter break, and we'll start up again the middle of January. I was say, are you thinking about the next season already? Yeah, everything, you, you really have to transition from one to the next uh, very quickly. There's, there's, there's a little bit of downtime, but you have to start preparing and everything. So honestly, I, I get bored. Um, I get bored with too much time off, so I'm, I'm ready to get back into it. That's good. Yeah. So since Chris has left us, and I can't, you know, think of any particular reason why he'd he'd leave us after <laughs> certain games, but that's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about some transfer stories. We're going to talk about that brilliant Manchester City versus Liverpool game, and then we're going to preview a couple of the FA Cup games. We're not going to do any any of this hipster European games or South America, not even South American games. All these European games that he says he watches, but doesn't. Yeah, really he does. Yeah, I don't know how that's possible. Um... I mean, we all want to watch the, the, the Jubilee League from Belgium, but there just isn't time. Yeah, or the Australian A-League, as much as he, he says about it, I, d- I don't think he's watching them. So he's going to listen I don't to either. This. Nope, I don't either. I'm not sure he could name four players. He could probably name four because they're the famous ones. But Well, that's true. If you said who's the goalie of the team in eighth place, he'd probably struggle. I think he would. Yeah, or could he name four Australian players? Oh yeah, probably not. He can name the foreign ones. Right, right. There you go. So, well, speaking of Chris, Manchester City two, Liverpool one. Which he was in the WhatsApp group during the game, very upset at parts. What did you think of the game? Did you watch it? I did watch it. I wasn't going to miss that. It was a it was a tremendous game. Um, we know that a lot of times these games that are billed as potential title deciders turn out to be very cagey, negative affairs. And honestly, for 15 or 20 minutes, it did seem to be uh, that. There weren't really numbers being committed forward. There was a lot of cautious play. 
Um, and then it all just came to life, I think, with the um, crazy goal line clearance that uh, that John Stones both, the problem he both caused and, and solved um, by first bashing the ball off Ederson and then, and then clearing it off the line, um, seemed to open the game up from that point, and, uh, and you just saw tons of quality from there on. It was, it was a great spectacle. With, see, it's interesting you mentioned that John Stones and the, and the ball crossing the line. I even saw some Liverpool fans on Twitter, despite seeing the goal decision, goal decision system, they were still upset. They still thought the ball had gone in and it should have been a goal. Yeah, you know, one of the, the, that's funny because um, everyone was, was talking up about how close it was, but the, the system they use in tennis goes to much finer margins than that. Um, it goes down to a millimeter or two, and, and, and that was a, a centimeter, a, a hair above a centimeter, which is still a, an appreciable margin um, for the technology that's being used. So the, it didn't cross the line, there is no question. But there were a couple of pictures that went around, still shots, and of course, unless the camera is directly over the goal line, and, and it would have to be in, inside the goal underneath the crossbar to do that, no picture is ever going to give you the, the true perspective. So I think we have to trust the technology on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a few people that, that had it sort of just to the side, from from the side on of the goal, and I'm thinking, yeah, but that's still not reflective. And also, if it's a still shot, you can't see that exact moment where the ball has either hit John Stone's foot or left John Stone's foot yeah. from the impending clearance. So, you know, Did you see the tweet that went viral? Did you see the tweet that went viral of the guy that took a screenshot of the goal decision uh, graphic, which is, of course, a computer recreation? Yeah. And he said, look at the shadow of the ball, the shadow that they <laughs> super to be across the line. Uh, I'd like to think that he knew that, uh, that he was just having a bit of a joke there. I'd like to think that as well, but you never know with people online. You don't. So. You don't. You, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, well, not really a contentious issue. There was a contentious issue during the game. Vincent Company's tackle on Mo Salah. A lot of Liverpool fans, again, very upset. Uh, company sort of slides in two-footed at Salah. Salah jumps over and company only receives the yellow card. Did you see it? What did you think of the... Was it a yellow? Was it a red? Uh, that is a really tough one because what, it's hard to know the way the laws are written sometimes. Um, the fact that, that Mo Salah jumped out of the way is, um, is really significant because had he not, had he not taken, you know, last fraction of a second evasive action then he could have been injured quite badly or the tackle could have looked much worse there could have been um, much more obvious catastrophic contact between company because he took that and really but there is some language in the laws of the game to suggest that that This is one of those where I can see both sides of the argument. I think in a situation like that, I think a referee more likely than not with is going to leave the club on the pitch. No, um, no gray area in their own minds that it's a deserved sending off because they know it's going to affect the balance of the game. So I have some sympathy for the for the Liverpool support who see it that way. But I also understand the referee's decision to, to not send him off. I do think that 
if if Mo doesn't quite evade the, the challenge or it just there is no way to evade it and it is there is a more dramatic impact with the studs into him, then it's a pretty clear sending off. Um, but as it the way it played out, I can see why he didn't get sent off. Yeah, as I said, I watched it a few times and I could understand why it was a yellow. I could have understood why it was a red. It is yep. reckless. It's dangerous. However, again, the the jumping I think makes a big decision in the referee's mind, and because the referee is almost judging off the impact of what's happened, because it's easier for them to understand, you know, where the studs are, where the two feet, yep. and Salah jumping obviously helps him not being injured, but then it's also making the referee's decision a lot harder because he can't justify in his own mind potentially that it was you know a severe tackle with intent to to do damage yeah yeah um, i agree it's, it's i mean it's one of those things again i can understand why people wanted it to be a red i can understand why people are saying it's you know it's it's a 50-50ish one and, and a yellow made sense yes um, so it's it's certainly an interesting thing to to debate but you know referees made a decision the fact that people have been able to watch it several times and say sort of how the studs are going and how many feet are and it's just it's the case of the referee's got that one chance to see it, and that's it. It's Again. such a difficult job. It's it's such a difficult job. I wouldn't do it for all the money there is. It's just you've got to make a decision on what's happened, and because of the jump, as you said, and you know, that's made his decision more difficult because he can't judge the impact, and that's exactly that's sort of what they'd go off in that scenario, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So that will obviously have happened. Um, so the. Johnstone's goal line was in, I believe, the 19th minute, um, and that could that would have obviously really changed the game. Uh, but then we saw Sergio Aguero score on the brink of half time, um, just before they went in. I mean, a brilliant time to score. I saw you tweet something yesterday. How did it? Did you sort of you saying which one would you prefer to score at the brink of half time or just after half time? Yeah, just I, I would say just after because now you've. And now you've removed the option for the opposition to, to spend time making a tactical adjustment to that goal in the event that it's given you the, the lead, as this one did. Um, and also you then, especially when you're at home, you, you have the, the momentum of the crowd and everything behind you, and you get to keep playing. So I don't think it matters, honestly. I mean, I always just get a kick out of thing you see on Twitter or the thing that pundits say about that's a great time to score. There is no... Every time is a great time to score. The 17th minute is a great time to score. The 68th minute is a great time to score. It's just one of those things pundits have always said that I'm not sure has ever stood up to any sort of extremely boring critical analysis, which I'm personally not willing to do. That's why I... I does anyone, has anyone actually done, done the, the work and run the numbers on this if it really matters? At some point, you a YouTube video that seemed to suggest it didn't matter. So that's good enough. That's good enough for you. Yeah. You can trust everything, YouTube. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so, Firmino... Well, hmm? Goal it was. And that looks better than anybody, which is he's actually running across his, his defender. He's running past the near post towards where the, the ball is coming from, and he can, he can swivel in one place. I would say the other person is Suarez. Um, they have by virtue of, of not being the tallest and having low center of gravity, is this ability to swivel and hit the ball at the same time while they're doing it, and you're going to take every goal from a surprise if you have one. Yeah. 
Um, so that was that, and then Firmino scored um, with so to make it one-one thanks to a good cross by Andy Robertson, and then Leroy Sané in. Oh, I don't have it down. See, this is what Chris does. He does all the the prep beforehand, and he can just <laughs> reel off all these things. Sané got yeah, the but, game but, but, Hmm. a little. We're doing the Y. And uh, it's got its own, it's got a, we, we have our own vibe here. Yeah, it's, it's a unique feel of, you know, just winging it. Uh, We're winging it, exactly. Yeah. Sané scored with a, what I thought was a fantastic finish. Right, it's, it's almost perfect because he's hit it across goal, it's hit the inside of the post and has effectively bounced almost to the other post at that point. And it's a great finish, a great goal, and City really picked up from there to, to win the game. Uh, there was a, a bit towards the end, I don't know if you saw this, um, where Liverpool fans, I think, were getting a bit jittery, but they obviously wanted the equaliser. They were sort of passing it around a little bit, and then Lovren launched the ball forward in about the 95th minute towards Van Dijk, who'd effectively been playing centre forward at that point. And so, in, and after the ball had dropped and the whistle had gone, Van Dijk was seen audibly shouting at Lovren across the pitch. I don't know if you'd seen that. Yeah, I did actually. I, I. I... I bet you that's something that that uh, Klopp will address. Not the shouting, but um, in the last in 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 added time at the end of the game, Liverpool sort of resorted to launching a series of uh, as soon as someone got the ball and turned and faced goal, they would just play a ball into the box. I know that's a desperation tactic when you're running out of time, but they were doing that with six seven minutes still left, and I mean there was just a barrage of of, of those balls played, and that's not that's not their best chance of scoring a goal that's that's not really what they do um and so they they i wouldn't say they abandoned their principles they just got caught up in the moment a little bit and if i'm if, if you ask me as the team defending a one goal lead against liverpool for five minutes to, you know would i prefer them to keep playing as liverpool play with their brilliant attacking players or to just start launching balls into the box i would take my chances with those balls into the box for sure so i i, I think that's what van dyke was on about like why are we just you know, get it to feet and let's run at them and hurt them the way we do everybody we've played this season. Yeah, it looked as almost he was pointing at the wing and almost saying, because it looked like get it out there. The, he was sort of saying, you know, why aren't you playing it out there and they can cross mm. it in at a better angle? Because exactly. a, a ball from defence, again, Man City are going to be able to deal with that, which they did. And yep. I mean, there was also the, the flip side of um, Guardiola looked a bit upset as Aguero had sort of broke. From, from their box and was at about the halfway line and Alisson wasn't out of his goal at this point and Aguero just hit it straight towards goal oh he mishit it but he was trying to, oh, was he was he trying trying to okay. right he was trying to score one of those those halfway goals and he, he mishit it terribly not just that City had three you know City broke three times with a man over or more and could have put the game out of reach could have put the game beyond Liverpool with that third goal and they've just they either got the pass wrong uh, the final ball wrong, or there was the the one that that came to Sterling at about the penalty spot, and he blasted it wide. Which, if you saw the video that he 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 put out the other day of his one year old, yeah, beautifully striking a ball. I had a few people on my Twitter feed saying his 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 son would have finished that, which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah, they they really uh, spurned a number of chances to make the game safe, and I, and I wondered into the very end it would it would come back to haunt them, but in the end it didn't. Which. It it sort of leaves the title race really open now. I mean, Liverpool are still four points clear at the top of the table. But where do you think this leaves both Man City and Liverpool, respectively, in their 
quest for the title. Well, it, it yeah, it tightens the race and it does give us a title race. I think on the balance of the way, just based on the eye test and what I saw yesterday, actually, and I know that that uh, that there will be people that that hope this isn't true, but based on what I saw, I think Liverpool will go on to win the title. Um, I don't think they will get a tougher test than that. I don't think they will play a more difficult game than that. Of course, they lost it. That's they they did lose the game, but just based on what they've got in their locker, um, the way they play, I don't I don't see them dropping a lot of points from this point on. They've already played some of their most difficult fixtures. That is the most difficult fixture. So it's they lost it, but it's now done. They still got a four point lead. City and Spurs, who are in it, need them to lose a couple more games. And that's with no margin of error. That's with City taking every point from this point on. So, and I don't expect that to happen. So I do still think Liverpool are in pole position. I would still back them for the title, but by no means. I mean, th- this can change this week. Not this weekend, this is FA Cup, but it can change you know, in the next couple of rounds of, of games. Um, but I don't see them dropping a lot of points. So I, I think City have a razor thin, and certainly Spurs, they both have a razor thin margin of error. They've absolutely got to get results um, every time out. I, I don't think the league has found a really good way to deal with Liverpool just yet. Um, I think that the the team Klopp had built through last season was so difficult to defend, but so vulnerable defensively that there was always the chance of, of drop points and drop points happened and catastrophically in some cases and some bad losses. And, and Van Dyke is a colossus, whatever they paid. I don't remember it now, but he's, million, I think. he's been worth it. He's, he, he, you can, you can't watch them play and see what he does and not see his value. He's extraordinary. Allison has solved the problem they had in goal. Um, they're good at getting, you know, good play out of both fullbacks. And and Lovren did take some criticism. Um, I saw from some quarters yesterday, he he held Sterling on side in the build-up to the first goal. He got turned. Um, did he get turned? Was it he, he had, sorry, the build-up to the second goal. He got turned by Aguero for the first goal. There was some criticism. He's still a pretty good and experienced center back to have as a as a second choice when Gomez isn't available. Um, so I just don't know that the, that the Premier League has quite figured out how they're going to approach Liverpool every game. Uh, and results seem to come for them without a lot of drama. You know, following the, the, the near miracle way they, they beat Everton in the derby at home ever since then. And, and until yesterday, they've just rolled through teams. And I don't really see any reason why they won't keep doing it. Yeah. It's absolutely right. I think something that's quite key for the title race, and that this is applicable for both teams, is any injuries and how the Champions League plays out for both teams. I think that's going to be well. That's key. that's a really good point, actually. That's a really good point. The Champions League, because I think City prioritised that, even though the, the the fan base doesn't particularly prioritise that. I, I I think City's club ethos and ownership and and Pep himself might might prioritise it slightly slightly more than the league. They, they, after all, have won the league multiple times recently, and they're 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 still champions now. Um, so there will be a question of, as you say, injuries, which aren't predictable. Uh, squad rotation based on Champions League games, and then progress in the Champions League. Obviously, it's an advantage for whoever 
you know, maybe doesn't get through this this round of 16 or, or the or the quarterfinal stage and, and then can focus solely on the league, I think there's a good chance they both, you know, progress through those stages. And so they'll both be dealing with that. Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing for the title race. And it definitely seems that it's going to be Man City, Liverpool, potentially still Tottenham in that race. I think every other team yeah. so far off the pace now that it's not going to happen. I mean, Chelsea, that they've lost their opportunity to even cling on to that even a little bit with yeah. results. So. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that. And Spurs are very much still in it, and they're also in the last 16 in the Champions League, so that will have an effect on them. And they've, they've probably, objectively speaking, got the thinnest squad um, with the, the most to lose, let's say, if they were to lose Son or Kane. Um, you know, they, they, need, they, they need all their best players available to them if they are, are going to get the results they would need to, to make a run at this title. Yeah, so that, that's Man City-Liverpool. That's where we leave the Premier League right now. We are heading into the FA Cup weekend, but there have been some transfers over the past few days. Is the January transfer window opened on the first, and there has there's been a bit of a flurry of activity from some clubs. The biggest one so far, though, was hotly contested in our Man on the Post WhatsApp group before the transfer because no one actually seemed to know what was going on, and that is Christian Pulisic from Borussia Dortmund has joined Chelsea for a fee of around about apparently sixty million and has been loaned back to Dortmund for the rest of the season. Very bizarre to announce it now and to do the deal in the way they've done it. There have been a lot of rumours that Chelsea are under the impression that they may get a transfer ban in the nearest future and we're looking to secure Pulisic now rather than waiting until the summer and risking having a transfer ban and not being able to purchase him then. Obviously, Pulisic is one of those people that a lot of people have been talking about 60 million is a huge amount of money, especially when you're able to loan them back to your, the club that you bought him from. What do you think of the transfer? 60 million is obviously a lot of money. Do you think it's even remotely good, bad? What's your thoughts? Well, I think it's incredibly good for, for Dortmund. What an amazing piece of business for them. Um, they've gotten good at this over the years. Um, the list of players they've sold and, and sort of the, their financial model has forced them to sell. They've always got more than than fair prices for. Uh, I know that the one of the one of the points of contention people have had is that Pulisic hasn't played much this season. But there's you know a couple of good reasons for that. One is that Jaden Sancho has been amazing. Um, yeah. You know, playing in that position in that role for Dortmund, he's been very difficult to unseat. But apparently, um, that there's some pretty good you know people on good authority saying that that. It was understood going back to the summer that this deal was going to happen and that uh, as a result that his, his role would be limited somewhat as, as even if you know he is going to stay the, the entirety of the season on loan now, um, he's not in the long-term plans. And, and Dortmund are a club that can never be uh, accused of standing pat or, or looking backwards. They're always planning ahead. They're always making moves and, and, and taking action in order to facilitate selling these players. And, and that would be one of them. That would sort of this gradual reduction in his playing time and a more limited role is based on the fact that he's, he's going to be leaving. So it's great business for the club. I think it's, it's good for Pulisic because right now the Premier League is the showcase league in the world. If you're not at, at say, Bayern or, or Real Madrid or Barcelona... 
um, some of the, the the glamour clubs from a couple of other leagues. Um, the, the Premier League is the place to be. He's an American, English-speaking guy. He wants to be in the Premier League. Uh, he'd been connected, as you know, to Liverpool for the last couple of seasons. And um, I don't, I'm, I'm not surprised that that didn't happen in the end. I, I, I would be surprised if Klopp was really all that high on him um, because he's just not lacking in, in that kind of player already. And, and, and um, I don't know necessarily, you know, where, he, where or how he fits in at Chelsea next season, but a lot of that will be determined by what happens in the summer. You know, if, if William is gone um, or somebody else leaves from that midfield, then, then obviously with the investment they've made in him, you know, they're, they're planning to give him a chance. People have talked about whether they're just doing it to sell shirts or any of that kind of thing. And, I, I don't think you spend that amount, amount of money unless you're expecting to get a, a direct return back on the pitch. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The, the shirt sales, I, I don't it, it, what isn't a major factor, but I, I would highly suspect that it was a factor of some degree. Uh, well, I wouldn't see. say the shirt. I wouldn't say the shirt sales. Well, the merchandising itself, because, into America is, I think. Yeah, is. yeah. Just break, just 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 the, the exposure with the American market a little bit more. The shirt sales thing, you know, Nike paid Chelsea up front for the rights to sell those shirts and they keep most of that money um, so that they're never going to get their money back on that but 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 yeah I mean obviously if you get the the most high profile American player then then you make inroads in into the American market I don't know I mean that's that's a bean counter you know that's the that's the the people at a certain level of the club that prioritize however important that kind of thing might be I've never really thought I've always been a little suspicious of how much actual good that does you. You know, when when um, when Manchester United had had Park Ji Sung on their team, they were they were the uh, you know that helped them in the Asian market. But I but I don't know how that really helps in the overall big picture to have that kind of additional draw with a specific market. So I, I think really bottom line, they're going to be looking for him to help on the pitch, and he can. He's a good player. Um, he's been a little unfairly criticized already now because of the size of the price tag and is he really worth that and all that. But this is what players go for now. You're not going to get anyone that's going to help a club like Chelsea for £22 million. That won't happen. That Unless the bubble bursts at some point and, and there's a correction in the market, a half-decent player from a Champions League club is going to cost the better part of, of half you know the £50 million and up. So that's just that's just what players go for now. I think it's it's a case of... That there's so many factors that can increase or inflate a transfer fee. The fact that he is only 20 would have, of course, inflated that fee beyond belief. Part of that, you know, as part of that deal anyway, to almost say, well, you know, if you get him and you keep him, you've got him for 10, 15 years. If 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 you're going to be that type of player, and I think it's interesting. A lot of people were saying, well, that's a definite that Hazard is going to leave as a result. And but Pulisic, I believe, plays on the right. Obviously, Hazard plays on the left. The Chelsea have sort of the Chelsea journalists have indicated that he's not a direct replacement for Hazard. The club's aim is still to get Hazard to sign a new deal, and they're also looking to get Hudson Odoi to sign a new deal. Despite all these rumours about Bayern Munich, they want him to sign a new deal and stay. Whether that happens or not is a bit of a different story. I mean, a club like Bayern Munich coming in with a twenty to thirty million pound bid. Again, you know, we, we, we're talking about transfer fees, £30 million that's being rumoured for hudson Adoy for a player who hasn't made it into the Chelsea team this season. 
is again a big fee for a player of that sort of level at this point. That is, that's all potential. You, you know, you're, you're, that would be Bayern making an investment on what they see as potential. Whereas at least with Pulisic, there's, there's plenty of performances you could point to and say, you know, here he is demonstrating exactly what he can do against the highest level of opposition. So what do you think is going to happen with Hazard? I think it's difficult because he changes his mind every time he speaks to the media. One time yeah, he, he'll say, Real Madrid to the club. Just, yeah, he did just come out and say he wants to be a club legend, he wants to stay, he wants to score, you know, wants to be Another up there with Another 100 goals. Yeah, that whole thing. But then again, he's... he In my eyes, he's already a club legend anyway, just for the fact of, of the way that he's, he's grown with the club. And he, he picked Chelsea out of all the teams he could have picked you know, five, six years ago. And I think it's a case of... If he was to leave, people would probably still call him a Chelsea legend in that regard. And that, yeah, I think he's using good terminology to stay or leave. Because he, you know, he's made no qualms about the fact that he wants to join Real Madrid at some point. That's just the way it is. He, that's always been his ambition, and you know, you can you have to respect that at that point. Yeah, how old is he now? I oh, that is a good question. I don't know because it's, it's it's certainly an interesting idea he is he's 27 27 so yeah you know there's still time to for him to go to madrid because they're more than comfortable historically with an over 30 player um and and as you say there's still more for him to accomplish it at chelsea and um he can do both he, he can he can stay another few seasons um really write himself into the history books there and then go have his, his time in Madrid if he's not in too big a hurry. So it is hard to know because, like you say, he sort of contradicts himself when he, when he speaks about it. There's no way to know until the summer is here. Yeah. So that's a, a done deal. We've also seen another done deal today. Dominic Solanke, former Chelsea player, has joined Bournemouth for a fee of around about £19 million, according to... To all the sources that have spoken about it so far. Again, another player that potentially you, you're buying the potential for 19 million. Uh, people have made a few comments to say Bournemouth, this is their second deal for a, a Liverpool player because they'd bought Jordan Ibe for about 15 million pounds as well. Is it a case of just buying potential or, or Dominic Solanke is one of those players that had such a big hype around him? And has yet to really be able to hit those heights. Yeah, but I, I and and nineteen million. It's funny because we're just talking about how, how whatever the price was for Pulisic not being you know that inflated, but nineteen million for Bournemouth is is a is a big purchase. So they need goals. You know, I'm looking at the table. They played twenty one games, scored thirty one goals. So they're just shading a goal a game, a little bit above a goal a game average, and. There's a, a sort of a, a lack of dynamism in that team. There's a the lack of, of uh, uh, any kind of fear factor for the opposition. You can play right up tight against Bournemouth and, and not be that worried about getting spun or turned or beat. And uh, Jordan Ibe has that ability, you know, but hasn't developed it yet. And now Will Solanke, I don't know, but, but um, I can understand the thought process behind you know, making an investment like that. They, they, yes, it's potential, but they don't have the, the luxury to, to wait too long for that potential to, to flourish. They're not in any danger down at the foot of the table. They're, they're pretty safe on 27 points at the moment. 
Um, you know, they're, they're 11 points clear, a danger. But I think that a club their size knows that, it, you know, you 27 points at the midway point, you, you want to keep adding to that, and you're not really safe till you're in that 10 to 11 points out of trouble range when we get toward the end of March or something. So, so I, I think that's a good proactive move by a team that's in the middle of the table but knows that it only takes – you know, a couple of bad weeks of, 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 of poor results and, and you find yourself in trouble and and you stand to lose way more than 19 million pounds. So if you can make an investment to shore things up, to make yourself a little more dangerous, to score a few more goals, and you stay in the, the top flight, that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and they've also secured the signing on loan of Nathaniel Klein from Liverpool as well uh, until the end of the season. So that's, again, another player that not really doing much at the moment, but he's coming to the He'll do a job for them. Yeah, the I think day. he will. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the major transfers, unless I'm completely missing something. Uh, but there are a couple of big sort of rumours going around at the moment. Obviously, Alderweireld Vero today has signed. Uh, Tottenham have triggered his extension. So Toby Alderweireld is staying at the club for another year, potentially, although there is now a clause in his contract that allows him to leave for £25 million in the summer which I think Manchester United will probably look to, to pay off if all the rumours are going to be true, because Manchester United desperately need some form of new defender. I do think they do, although I'm going to make a prediction, okay. because this is something I've been paying attention to. Victor Lindelhoff is going to work out. Now that Mourinho's gone? Uh, I don't know that wrong? I put it entirely on Mourinho. That's that's an easy... But maybe, maybe Mourinho was... Maybe he was one of the players that was... Uh, negatively affected by Mourinho's style and management and all that, but he's 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 looked very now. They haven't played any any. They played the bottom of the table mostly since Solskjaer came in, but he's looked he's looked good. I can see for the first time because honestly, and you know, not the, in, until not that long ago, you couldn't really see anything in his game that made you think it, it could work out for him. Um. And, and now I'm I'm seeing some things. I'm I'm going on a limb saying this. Yes, they still need to add to the to that you know to their center back core. I, but but I think there's a chance he works out. Okay. Well, the, the bigger question I have regarding like potential transfers still is what's happening with Aaron Ramsey and why Arsenal think they don't need him because they do. He's their club captain as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I it's a I don't understand. That's that's why a very I very weird club with with these sort of situations. I mean, I know Jack Wilshere is I think probably a little bit of a different cat of fish with with his injury record, but they've got these players that you'd expect them to try and like secure. And Aaron Ramsey, he's he's an integral player for them in, in a lot of games. Yeah, yep. they're happy just to see him roll out for free at the end of the season. And it's almost like that thing of surely someone at Arsenal is hearing the rumours that it's Real Madrid, Juventus, you know, big names in football that that are looking at Ramsey as a signing and think, maybe we should try and keep him after yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. You know, what are we missing? But they're, they're, Unless there's some, something going on that, that people don't know, because it seems very right. silly that they've not even offered him a contract. Yeah, I it's feel true. Like there and- may be something... And and his injury record is certainly not not as as troubled as 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 Wilshire's was, but he is a player that has had extended injuries, uh, extended periods of injuries. So maybe the club doctors may have said it's it, this is the way it's going to keep 
happening and you know he won't ever have a, a long spell again where he's he's at his best so i don't know but it is strange because when he's healthy and when he plays he's he's he brings a, a again i talked about bournemouth and the lack of dynamism in arsenal for so long you know now they've got this now they've got Aubameyang and and lacazette and they do have the ability to really run at teams and and beat them with pace and and be a little bit more than what they were just you know, just during Wenger's last few years where they seem to have a whole team full of very small number 10s doing lots of attractive things with the ball, but then they were easy to, to sort of um, break down defensively and you could also resist them by just playing in sort of a low block because they, they lacked um, a sort of a plan B. Certainly when they let Giroud go, they lost any sort of aerial ability. So, um, you know, Ramsey, like... He, he, you can't really put him in one little box. He, he, he's got the skill and vision and passing ability of a good creative player, but he's also he can run, he can shoot from distance, he'll tackle. I mean, you, uh, you can see why there'd be a long list of of top clubs that'd be interested in his services. And like you say, I wonder if, if Arsenal notices that and thinks maybe we should be doing what we can to sign him. I, I think the the biggest thing that I'd, I'd imagine is is the case is that Ramsey's asking for too much in Arsenal as a club aren't willing to offer that. Is, is there I, any big thing that I can think is probably... Yeah, no, I, I think you're almost certainly that's what it is because they... And and if they were to give in to whatever demand he might make, then they would essentially, you know, they would immediately have the agents for every one of their other top players, Aubameyang and Lacazette and et cetera, would be you know, knocking on the chairman's door and saying, now it's our turn. You've broken the wage, wage structure and you have to now get us back to where we were so that might be um a bridge that just can't be crossed and it might see him leaving the club for one of these giant clubs where he'll almost certainly do well yeah i mean i think tottenham have a similar situation with with their structure as well i think if one player breaks their their wage structure i think it will be almost like a a tidal wave effect with everyone else but with arsenal I, i think would you not want to sign into a contract knowing that clubs are after him and sell him anyway? Yeah, that's the thing that's a little curious to me because there's been lots and lots and lots of cases where a player is rumored to be leaving, he's coming into the last year of his contract, and then they agree a new contract. And then, of course, then the summer comes and he leaves anyway. And, and the contract was really just both parties coming to an agreement that... Uh, um, Nobody actually wants to catch the club. Generally, a player who's going to move on wants the club to get something out of it, wants there to be a fee. And so you you, you, you sign that extension for no other purpose than that. Like Suarez did that at Liverpool, and Liverpool fans, when he signed, yay, this means he's going to stay. And, you know, the more astute among them realize, well, it really just means it's really just ensuring a fair price when Barcelona come in. So the fact that hasn't happened yet, me to me that means maybe they really are genuinely trying to find a, a permanent solution and 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 really get a contract signed, or that that um that they're not speaking that it isn't you know that, that I, I can't see him leaving on a free I don't I don't see that if Arsenal allow that to happen then they will have catastrophically misplayed their hand obviously but it'd be, it'd be cheaper to break the wage structure in the end. Well, than to sell him for seventy-five million pounds, you know, and and now you break your wage structure, but you absorb the loss in additional, you know, p- payroll with that transfer fee. So I, I don't know. 
it's a weird one. But there are a couple more sort of rumours going around. There seems to be this big one that uh, is it Adrian Rab- Adrian Rabiot from PSG is almost certain. I don't know if it's been confirmed. Or he's almost certain to go to Barcelona in the summer on a free transfer for around about ten million euros a year salary, and PSG in return look like they may be either trying to get Moussa Dembele on a short-term agreement potentially or look like they're going to get Ajax's De Jong potentially mm. as a replacement for Rabiot and there's a lot of clubs these days. I don't know if it's just something that I think has become more useful I mean more recent obviously we're talking about Ramsey but we've seen players over the past couple of years letting their contract run and going to a another big club I mean, you look at Kadira from last season uh, not Kadira um am I thinking of uh, Emre Chan yeah. um, from Liverpool to, to Juventus and there's been a few players that seem to be going on free transfers nowadays than, or free transfers to bigger clubs or, or just as big clubs at this point I think club players are starting to understand that they've got a bit more choice I th- well I, yeah I, I think that's that's something we probably have to credit to agents they've, they've sort of figured out how to play the end of contract saga because it gives the club a relatively short window to 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 you know to come up with a new contract or extension and if you get through that and into the last year of the contract the player now has all the all the bargaining power uh, unless there's any other rumors that you're aware of i haven't seen anything else i think there's just lots of sort of small ones that always pop up every so often but nothing yeah, I, I think nothing much. I think I'm I'm most interested to see what the clubs you know that are in the drop zone and around it, in and around it. Just pretty much everyone from from Newcastle down. Maybe you could put Palace in there, but I think they're going to have enough. Just they, I don't think they they'll go down. But um, be interested to see the the moves they make, if any. Um, they won't be uh, earth shattering transfer fees and they won't be the biggest names we've heard of but these you know that they've got they've all got squad problems and um an astute buy in january can you know can take some of these teams that are i, I think that there's no save in huddersfield i think fulham are in an enormous amount of trouble but you look at southampton cardiff burnley newcastle there's only two points between the four of them and so just one good addition from any of those clubs could be worth an extra four or five points over what they might have otherwise got in these last 15 or so games, 16, 17 games. It'll be interesting to see what those clubs down there do. You know, whether we, we, we hope we get a title race, but we know there's always going to be, and especially this year, like I said, with, with going all the way up to 15th place um, and still only being two points out of the drop zone, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of teams fighting fighting the drop this season. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the in the window. Yeah, I mean, uh, over the past couple of hours, we've seen Huddersfield sign Jason Punchin on loan from Crystal Palace. Yeah. Which, again, they need something. So anything that they can get at this point, I imagine, is, is probably all that they can get. And just they have to just go with it and see if they can get anything out of it. They are in trouble, Fulham. Although they've already spent a lot. Do you, As Fulham, do you now think, what if we overspend now? because we've already spent a lot in the summer, how would that leave us if we do go down to the championship? I know there's parachute payments and all that financial jazz, but it's going to be interesting to see whether they're now having to think for the next season, wherever they are. I think they, yeah, I think they really do have to consider that. Um, Huddersfield, 
I, you know, I give them credit for the, the signing of Punchin because it looks just about mathematically impossible. They would need to win from this point on 12, 13 games. I mean, it's, they've won two of their first 21, and they're not, it's not going to happen. Um, they would need so many wins, and they just don't have the quality to do it. So the fact that they're trying and they're willing to spend the money now, uh, you know, you would hope that the accountants have figured out, like you said, the parachute payments or whatever, whatever other compensation there will be if they go down. But, but for some of these others, it's really a case of spend now to then, you know, for then the, the, then the, the financial windfall that comes from staying up. Yeah. So we're definitely going to see what they do over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But moving on from that, it is... One of the best times of the footballing calendar is the FA Cup third round. All the top clubs are now moving into the FA Cup and it's the time where we probably get to see a few rotated squads, a few youngsters playing their first games for their respective clubs. And I'm just sort of scrolling through the list of fixtures now. There's one currently on, as we're recording, Tottenham are away at Tranmere. Tottenham are one up. I don't know who scored. I'm just checking it. Aurea scored, so I assume they've got at least a semi-decent side out. Um, but he scored in the 40th minute, and it looks like it's half-time there. In the games, there's a lot of games tomorrow. There's a couple on. There's a few on Sunday, and there's one on Monday. So it's a very long weekend of FA Cup football, as always. Have you seen any games that particularly point out to you at this point, Justin? Um, I'm kind of interested in Chelsea Forest, just because... For somebody my age, uh, for for anyone who doesn't know, I'm 52. So I remember, you know, I remember I grew up with Forrest as a, as a top flight side, and obviously back-to-back European Cup winners, and then even into the Premier League years, still being a top flight side. So um, always nice to see them, you know, uh, get a chance at a, at a Premier League fixture. Um, I think one that West Ham... Uh, well, actually, I saw. I was going to say West Ham, Birmingham, but probably not. I think Derby County, Southampton. That's got a real good opportunity to be quite close. Yeah. Um, that I think that one's going to be quite interesting. Blackpool at home to Arsenal. I think that could be quite interesting. Newcastle, Blackburn. If you're looking from a few years ago, that definitely is a, would be a big fixture. Well, you mentioned Blackpool, Arsenal, and also this the Spurs Tranmere game right now. It's to me, it's always interesting. The, People talk about the magic of the FA Cup, and they say that sneeringly these days because it's unquestionably doesn't doesn't quite have the the cachet it once did. Still, the best thing about it is when a Premier League side goes to a lower division side, and especially if they've got a ratty little ground, um, <laughs> yeah. it's just great when you you know to to see uh, whether it's like four rows of standing terrace behind the goal and and a roof that. That's hanging almost right over the crossbar. And I, I love seeing that because the, the Premier League is so sanitized today, and there's so many of these, so many of the grounds look the same, and 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 or the grounds have been renovated or they're gone. You know, there once was Main Road, which was a just awful, dreadful looking place, and 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 now there's the Etihad, which is sterile and and modern, but not that fun. You don't remember, but Chelsea used to have cars parked behind the goals you know at the old Stamford Bridge and so I just I, I think it's great now when when um, 
when clubs, big clubs go away to lower division sides. And some of those stadiums and all those clubs don't have the money to, to, to do stadium renovation. And so they're still the same as when I lived in England. I'll, you know, I still see some of them and say, well, it hasn't changed. You know, look at that. Um, Shrewsbury Towns is exactly the same as it used to be. You know, Grimsby is exactly the same as it used to be. Ackerton Stanley is the same as it used to be. I think that's great. And that is, that's, that is, as you said, the magic of the cup. It's, and there's always that potential, isn't there, that, you know, these, these big clubs go to these smaller grounds. And even though every part of logic tells you that it's only going to go one way, you just never know there could be that one draw or that one shock win for one of the lower teams. And it can completely change the, the complexion of the weekend. I've just seen another one that I'm interested in now based on this. Newport is hosting Leicester. Um, that looks like that's a Sunday game. Um, for, that's on BBC One for people in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of ground Newport has, but it's not what Leicester's used to playing in. Absolutely not. I think that's the thing. You're going to have quite a few teams going to smaller ground. I mean, yeah, okay, Blackpool's not going to be a massive, but Arsenal going there. You've just got... I mean, Derby's obviously fine, but yeah, not not even far as going to Stamford Bridge is going to be, is, is as you said, it's going to be a good one. Ipswich to Accrington Stanley, as you said, it's it's just going to be, it's going to be good to watch some of these fixtures where it's just the, the smaller teams. I mean, Watford are going to Woking, that perfect, be a good one. Yeah, yeah, and it's just little games like, that. and then then you've got the things like Wolves versus Liverpool on the Monday, which you know again might as well be a, a Premier League stand, game. standard Premier yeah. League game, right, right. You'll get to a point where the FA Cup, it, you know, later rounds, it will just be Premier League games effectively, which sort of devalues the cup a little bit in that sense, just because you see things that you normally see. But yeah. the, the third round is all about that magic and seeing these smaller teams coming out of nowhere and, and getting a result potentially. So I think, is there anything? Is there any games where you think the smaller team might get a result? Uh, you know, it's hard to ever back them because, like you said, logic dictates that, that uh, you know, Spurs should go to Tranmere and, and win quite comfortably. Um, but the, the sheer number of, of these games, there generally is an upset or two, so I don't know. I mean, um, I don't like Forrest's chance to get a result at, at the bridge, certainly. I'm interested to see that game, but I, but I expect Chelsea to win it. Um, if I was going to go on the limb on any of them, I would say uh, no. I honestly can't. I, I, I don't. I don't expect the the form book to be upset in any of these fixtures I'm looking at. But but there could be it could be a scare or two. Yeah, I think the the, the main again, it's not really that out of the realms of possibility. But I think Derby could get a result against Southampton. Yeah. Based on on how Frank Lampard's got Derby set up and Southampton, who have improved uh, since getting rid of Hughes, but but that's a game where you just think you know teams you're not in the same position, but you're you're close enough where I think you could get an interesting game in seeing the the team from the lower league, even though it's the Championship. Do we know the the biggest disparity in league placements between in any of these fixtures? When if we you know consider all ninety two clubs, what's that? That sounds like a that's tonight. That's right now, right? That's got to be Spurs Tranmere, or no? I'm trying to think. See, that's the thing. This Chris would have this stat, but then he'd say he would. It's the first time that this team has played under the sun on a Friday night. He does 
get these obscure facts, doesn't he? No, no, he doesn't even create them either. Chris, if you're listening, just just stop with the facts, please. <laughs> I mean, Tottenham have just gone 2-0 up against Tranmere. And I, who, Fernando Lorente, I didn't even... I completely forgot that he was, even played for Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. He has not featured, that's for sure. Considering that Chelsea are in for him at one point as well. Yeah. We could have given him some game time. We have got no strikers, so... <laughs> That is all we've got time for, I believe. Uh, any? Is there any other business that you know of? No, I think we've covered literally everything. Literally everything. So yeah, we have, we, but we've covered what we could cover in an hour. Yeah, it's so yeah. FA Cup this weekend. Really excited to see what happens. The Man City Liverpool game was great, and obviously we're, we're excited to see what happens in the rest of the transfer window. And that is what we've got. So Justin, where can they follow you on Twitter? On Twitter, I'm at uh, Keepers Union with an underscore between Keepers and Union. Yeah, I'm at the Ryan Goodman, and you can follow us at Man on the Post on at Man on the Post on Twitter. We, I believe, we've got an Instagram that that pops up every so often. There's a Facebook page, Man on the Post Facebook page. There is a website, but it's not being used and may end up disappearing in the next couple of days, depending on whether we actually do something with it. Man on the and I think that's all the plugs that we normally do. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think what Chris normally signs off with. But go follow us all. You know all of our details. Justin, thank you very much for being on. You are welcome. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. And always remember to keep your man on the post.